Have you ever watched a YouTube video and as you're getting ready to see that thing that you, you know, you've so anticipated to, to watch, maybe it was a how-to or maybe it was entertaining or something, but before you can watch it, what happens? There's a commercial, right? And how many of you sit and watch the commercial all the way to the end? Or how many of you anticipate that moment where it says you can skip this ad in five, four, three, two, one? Well, believe it or not, uh, the other day I was watching um, some stuff on how to restore something. And this commercial came up. And I'm just waiting. But then as it sort of unfolded, it was like how to cook the ultimate pork loin. And I'm like, I think I want to watch this. And so I watched it, and um, I had to buy an expensive gadget to do it, so I figured I probably lost out on that one. I was hoping I'd gain something, and she's not going to let me buy any more stuff. So um, that was disappointing. However, that said, uh, don't, don't wait for the skip button on these things. These are pretty important. Uh, and, and so I got like five announcements that I need to share real quickly, and then we'll move on into our, our worship gathering. Um, in case uh, you weren't aware, we are doing devotional yoga, and it's going to be on Monday starting tomorrow night. And if you uh, have an inclination to try to slow down and, and get clarity on your life and allow your attentional bandwidth to expand, allow your body to f- take all the energy that's bundled up in stress and begin to relax, then this is probably the thing you need to do. Now, if you're intimidated like I would be, you can do gentle yoga, which is from 6 to 6.45. It is all based on, a, on Christian elements, and that's our yoga instructor they're coming up, and um, and and a very and and a, and a very gracious yoga instructor um, who uh, does a, a fantastic job helping you feel comfortable in that setting. Uh, if you like the more rigorous stuff, um, there's a is it pronounced vinyasa? Okay. Uh, which is from 7 to 8. So uh, you can see Kindle or, or uh, go to the studio afterwards and sign up, but um, it's a great opportunity and, and a lot of fun. Six weeks, is that the duration, Kindle? Yes. Okay, all right. So I want to make you aware of that. And uh, let's move on. We have uh, every year uh, boxes that we collect for kids that uh, go out to different parts of the world. And one of the huge benefits that we have is a distribution pipeline uh, called Operation Christmas Child. All we have to do is get some boxes, which are free right outside the worship center, fill them up with items that are listed on the box that you can include, or even go to places like uh, the dollar store who anticipate us coming in to do that, and they can give you instructions. A lot of times, I can't guarantee it, but that's worked in the past. Uh, So if you want to help out, be a blessing to a child somewhere else on the planet um, who wouldn't otherwise be getting a gift in the name of Jesus, uh, that's a good way to do that. Uh, Thirdly, We have um, coming up on the 20th uh, a pretty important Saturday that we've been anticipating um, for for several months now. And it is a a way that we can show Salem that we care about the community and and we want to do things that say, yeah, First Christian Church is here to make a difference in many ways. And one of them is just through helping with things like uh, serving the community through beautification or helping people at the laundromat do their laundry with, um, uh, with just, just giving, giving them some quarters. 
and everything in between. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of things at uh, Salem Parks. We have the director here in our church, Shane Franks, and we're collaborating with Shane to do uh, projects that need to be done that he's um, are, are, are even beyond the workload of their, their normal work. And so we're going to paint pavilions and the pool area and clean the trail and pick up sticks. And there's a whole list of things um, in your bulletin and in the guide uh, you can look for. Uh, it, I just encourage you, if you're a part of a group, or even if you're not part of a group, to sign up. And uh, we'll include you in this experience with other people so that you can uh, take part in something that ends up being very special. After that, uh, we're going to probably conclude doing that. I'm guessing around one for most groups. Uh, but in the evening, we're going to regather here and we're going to take uh, uh, that time to just enjoy fellowship and food and some activities and some music. And it's just our fall gathering that we, we do every year. It's, a, it's good for morale. It's good to get to see people from different services and different groups. And it's just a way for us to broaden our horizons a little bit about who attends here and include other people who don't. And if you want to take part in that, um, which we would, would, would do if you like, uh, you can bring a side dish if your last name begins with A through M, or bring a dessert if it's N through Z. And uh, that's kind of how we've organized it. So here um, are, so those are several things that we, we have sort of going on right now uh, that you can take part in. I think there might be one more. Uh, what do we have next? Yeah, we have um, a need for a driver uh, to take kids to Awana up at Old North Church in Canfield. It happens every Wednesday, and, and maybe if we get a few drivers, we can rotate. But one of the things that, that we look forward to every year is taking uh, a couple of busloads or van loads of kids, uh, many of them, uh, most of them Guatemalan kids, who go and they learn the Bible. They memorize it. They find ways to embed it in their heart and their mind. And uh, if you take scripture and you put it in your head, it's going to be like a slowly detonating bomb every po in the positive sense of the word. It just begins to express itself. And we see that, and we want to encourage these kids to do that. So if you want to do something special uh, in enabling that process, uh, we do need drivers. So let us know um, at the studio or the office afterwards. With that said, um, let's just take this moment and let's sanctify it by bringing it before the Lord. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for all that you're doing in each life here, for giving us a, a greater sense of trust in you as our God, as our provider, as the one who saves our souls and redeems every part of our lives, as the one who engages us with other people in a way that's so different because your spirit is at work to give us that, that sense of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It would be so awesome, Lord, if we saw a day when everybody just looked at each other through that lens that is the way Christ saw people in his environment. And we want to be those people, Lord, so allow this worship gathering to saturate our hearts and our minds in a way uh, that when we leave here, um, people will see on our face the, the imaging of your presence. Lord, we're not perfect by any stretch. And we never will be in this life, but you draw us in here to just come alongside us where we're at, encouraging us, but also challenging us and, and calling us to higher things. So help us, Father, as we just make that journey with you, that as you turn things up in our lives, as we see it, we don't run away in fear, but rather we face it and know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
And on the other side of it, you're working it together for some much greater good. And I pray that that working would happen in every life here. I pray for your blessing upon the things that we've just announced, that as we bring them before your throne and sanctify them in your name, that you would use those experiences that we've, we've been able to offer uh, as a means for doing your good work and, and beyond. Bless this gathering. May our hearts be released to express and declare your praises and your joy. And give us, Lord, that calibration that we need in our spirit right now to be in tune with you and the things you're doing. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Separate, even if I ran away, it's your love never fails. I know I still make mistakes, but you have no mercy for me every day, and your love never fails. I'm not alone here in these open seas Cause your love never fails The chasm is far too wide I never thought I'd reach the other side But your love never fails Things were
work together for my good Cause you make all things work together for my good Cause you make all things work together for my good Before I share what I have to share, I, I want to uh, just sanctify the message in, in a way that hopefully allows it to, to, to just penetrate our being. So please bow with me. Father, we are grateful for your word, which has the ability to just slice through joint and marrow, soul and spirit, every deep part of us. And I pray that it would be used to help us to see with greater clarity who you are and who we are in relation to you. May my words be your words, Father, as I seek to uh, be in harmony with your purposes. And may our hearts be open to hearing what it is that you're speaking to each of us uh, through the, the music and through the word. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever have one of those rare moments of silence or times when there are no distractions and maybe no opportunity for distractions. Maybe you're driving in your car and your phone's dead and you don't want to listen to the radio and you're just there with your thoughts. Or you're sitting at home by yourself and you're thinking, oh, how quiet it is. And then start, thoughts start to invade. Have you ever had that moment? And then the next thought is a sense of longing for something, something beyond, something different, something perhaps better, something that kind of addresses that subtle discontent that you have in your heart that's always sort of there. I, I've had those moments, and one time I had that moment, and I turned on a, a podcast to listen to what it was that uh, uh, maybe uh, I needed to get out of my head because of that. And I heard uh, Mark Batterson talk about his bucket list, and one of the things that he had said was, um, I, I want to go to those places that are, that are high and transcendent. And he shared how one of those places was, uh, of all things, um, going up Half Dome at Yellowstone Park National Park. I don't know if you've ever gone to uh, Yosemite, I mean, Yosemite National Park. Um, if you've ever gone to Yosemite, or even Yellowstone for that matter, uh, and seen the majesty of, of all that is just laid before you that's so different than anything here. And in 
the center of Yosemite National Park is this picture that maybe if you have a Macintosh computer you've seen on the desktop. It's a picture of Half Dome and then the rock face that is just flat in front of it um, called El Capitan. And it is a, a sight to behold. And Mark Batterson said, my bucket list, one of the big bucket list items that I've had is I want to climb Half Dome. And when he said that, I'm like, boy, that sounds so interesting and so fun. And so I added it to my own bucket list. I talked to my kids about it, and they said, yeah, we're, we're game. I haven't had that opportunity, but one of these days, I'm hoping that it's going to happen before I get to the place where my knees don't work anymore. And if it does, I hope I'm not that guy that when they get to the beginning part after an 11-hour hike to get there, where you're looking up at a 60, 70-degree angle, and you're imagining climbing to the top of that quarter-mile ascent up it, and you realize that thing is a lot steeper than I thought. And for some people, after hiking 11 hours, they say, I can't do that. And they turn around and go back. And for others, they, they muster the courage to go on up and see the sights that are your reward when you can get to a place that has that view of transcendence. And I think a lot of us have this feeling inside that there must be something better. There must be something higher it's a longing for those things that God has actually put inside of each of us that is for the things that have to do with his realities that we're not quite ready for. And so if you feel a little bit of discontent in your life, don't be alarmed. It's God's way of saying to each of us, this is helping you to anticipate what is yet to come. To not be too content in what you see in front of you, but to realize that there is a contentment that will carry the day, and there's a contentment that will keep you stuck. And I think one of the best ways to get unstuck is to have a sense of something that is above and beyond. Now, I don't know what will happen when I get to that place, but one of my biggest fears is when I do, I'm, I'm going to be doing the math. I'm going to realize that when I get on the roof of my house to clean the gutters, I get a nosebleed, and now I have to go up that. I'm questioning whether or not I'll have the courage to hike up it. And so how do you get over that? Well, one of the things that I think has been very helpful has been tracking what's going on on the other side of the mountain. And maybe you've heard this or, 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 or heard reference to it, but there is a relatively young man uh, who has decided uh, at one point in his life that he's going to climb that mountain, and he does. And then he decides, I'm going to climb it faster than everyone else. And I'm not talking about the side that I'm going up. I'm talking about the other side, the sheer rock face that's, you know, 2,000 feet high. The one where insane people find whatever madness that they have and they allow fear to remain on the ground level and they just climb up it. And he said, I, I want to be the fastest one to go up the side of that mountain. And he accomplished that. And then after that, he's like, there's got to be more. And Alex Honnold committed himself about a year and a half ago to the unthinkable, and that is, I want to be the first person to free solo up the side of that mountain, you know, with no 
with, with no uh, ropes, no life-saving plan Bs, nothing except his sheer rock climbing skills. Now, I look at that and I, I can't even begin to comprehend what would drive a person to do any of those things, let alone that. And about a year and a half ago, he found a way to climb up this mountain on the side of the sheer rock face and do it without any ropes. And I don't know if you've been online and seen any of the, the particular footage that's been taken for what well, has become a documentary on that free solo. But if you have, you just get a little vertigo just looking at how it is that when you look down from the camera angle at him and then the ground way, way below, you're like, what would you do if you were up there like that and you decided, oh, you know what? How about if I look down right now? Would you do that honestly? Would you look down? What do you think would happen if you looked down? Okay, I saw a gesture of falling or throwing up. One or the other. Both. For me, when I, if I looked down, I would be like, who's going to rescue me? Because I, I, I can't go any farther. But if you look at these pictures that I'm showing you of him just climbing these different um, rock challenges, this one, he's, he's underneath an arch way up. And he's just, you know, proceeding as if it was you and I walking to the store. And... What's fascinating about this guy is how he's so obsessed at finding that next big thing to overcoming that, that longing. And if you read up a little bit about his life, he has taken that longing and he's applied it to that mountain, but he's taken it a little bit further because the longing that he has goes beyond just him doing something that is so <laughs> unbelievably phenomenal, indescribable. He's looking at the landscape of the world that he's in and he's saying, how come we can't have a better world? And this is a mountain that he's, he's attempting to climb as well. So if you get on his website, uh, Alex Honnold, and I'm not encouraging you to do it right now, but if you get on there, um, you'll, you'll see some images. Uh, one of them I want to show you real quickly of him in his van, which he slept in for years, uh, as he would go and train for these mountain hikes. And one of the features that he had were these, these little hooks or these little holes that were like simulated um, uh, rock, um, you know, slots in the rock that he would um, simulate how it, he would pull his body up. And if you look carefully at it on the left hand, it looks like he's using at least four fingers. On the right hand, he's using his pinky. Uh, you know, I would need both hands, all fingers, and a couple people as well to just prop me up. But he's looking at that and saying, what if a scenario occurred where I needed to pull myself up with my pinky? Am I prepared for that? And I'm assuming that he is and he has been in that predicament. All of that effort going into preparing himself for doing the unthinkable. Because without that effort, it would just be a fantasy. And yet he's taken that whole set of accomplishments and he's parlayed them into a vision for a greater good. Here's the thing. In reading his biography, you discover that he's, he declares himself as an atheist. 
So he's living in this world, accomplishing these things that are pretty unthinkable and absolutely life-threatening. And yet he's saying, I don't believe that beyond this mountain that I'm climbing that there is a God. But I do long for a time when things are better. And so he has a mission statement on his website for his organization. And it's not so much about rock climbing as it is about the environment that he's in. And so I want to show, uh, I want to skip to that, that slide if we can. And, and show it. Um, now let, let's, let's pause that for right now if we can. And go to the next slide. And, and, and here it says, We believe that small deliberate steps can help us achieve audacious goals. And his goals are, are things to do with um, having a, a better sustainable environment to live in. People getting along better, and all of those things that you know you and I feel instinctively like, yeah, I long for the day whenever I can eat something and it's not processed food. I long for the day uh, whenever I can I can trust that the air quality is is 100% good for me or the water as well. I long for the day when I just go and I join an organization or a group of people and. It takes a very, very long time before we discover that we don't get along. I long for the day whenever I can just be around people who are very chill about everything, but very committed to the important things. I long for a day when people, when they talk to each other, do so in a civil way, not in a way that is, is, is almost violent verbally. I long for a day when I communicate and people understand what I say and I understand what they say and there's no confusion. And on and on the list goes. And I'm guessing that you, each of you, long for a day when you can just put on your text, okay, and the other person knows what you mean by okay. Have you ever received a text and it said that and you're like, now, that can be interpreted a lot of different ways, can it? They said, okay, but do they mean sure? Or do they mean okay, like cynical okay? Or okay, like they're in my face? You ever go through that dialogue and you're saying, what do they mean? And God is telling us, there is a way where we can share with each other and be on the same page. Not only that, there's a way that we can have our lives restored in such a way that we're right with God and right with each other. There is a way that carries with it a hope that one day everything will be made right. But if you're Alex Honnold, you just think, well, what you see is what you get. And there's nothing more. And if somebody's going to fix the environment, we got to do it. If somebody's going to make communication work and people get along we got to do it but the bad news is he's not the first person to die on that hill and one of the reasons why God came into our world is because he knows just how out of order so much is including our own lives and if you look on your bulletin you see this word go and you may say well that's a nice Exhortation: I should go and do something bold and audacious for God. Maybe go to another part of the world and share the good news or maybe send people to go there. And it seems pretty grandiose. But behind that go is a why that is extremely powerful. And we have a lot of people in this church who are engaged to or connected with 
mission organizations, people within those organizations, or they're sending people out. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, that doesn't really apply to me. But we also have a lot of people in this room who have somebody in their own world that they see broken and hurting and longing like you once did. And God's saying, that's your mission field. But sometimes we have to back up when people say go because we get cold feet. We look at the, at the, at the, at the rock face and we're telling ourselves, if he can do that, then I can do this, but that is a long way up and it looks very dangerous and I'm not sure. I need something to give me some motivation. And we watch the other side of the mountain and, and we get our courage up because that vision begins to motivate us to say, like I've been fascinated with this whole Alex Honnold thing, well, surely if he can do that without any ropes, I can walk up Half Dome, which, which has cables that I can latch onto and not fall off of if I, if I don't have to. And I realized something that it's the vision of the thing beyond that helps us to do the thing that's in front of us. And when the Apostle John, I'm assuming, wrote something that was cryptic but yet very powerful, he knew that there were people who needed to hear the good news. And he wanted to give a couple of snapshots of what would happen after they received the good news and what that situation would be like. And so in my message today, what I want to do is look at the very last book of the Bible because sometimes you have to begin with the end in mind. You have to think, all right, now this is where we're going. What do we need to do to get there, to take steps so that we stay on the path? And did you know, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, which is a strange book, it's a terrifying book, honestly. It's a book that when I read it, I scratch my head more times and I say, yeah, I, I think I, I know what's going on there. It's a book that has been so confusing on so many levels that I've been a pastor for 30 years and people used to talk about it a lot more and they would say, yeah, the Antichrist, well, you got to know that that is the Pope or you got to know that, no, it's not the Pope, it's, it's Adolf Hitler. No, 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 it's not him. It is, it is actually Saddam Hussein. No, 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 it's not him. It's the Shah of Iran. No, 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 it's not him. And it's the leader of the European Union. And you're looking at this and you're saying, I'm confused. And when John wrote this, he didn't want us to be confused, but rather to kind of see a vision that helps us along the way. And so I want to read just a little bit from chapter 7. And a lot of it is pretty clear, and I think it's very powerful. Some of it is it's kind of cryptic, but let's go ahead and show that scripture. John is saying in his beautiful vision, After this I looked, and, I be, be, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and saying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, on his throne and in the lamb. And then he goes on to, 
to, to, to, to zoom in even farther to all of the activities by saying, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And in that declaration, John describes one of the elders addressing him and saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where do they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And as John is describing this, it ends with a promise. So let's go to the, the next part. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And as John is just unfolding this layer by layer by layer, he's describing an event that's taking place in heaven at some future point from our point of reference. And what's so fascinating about this description is how everyone is there. Everyone that has been called to worship God, everything that has been called to worship God is taking part in this moment. And he specifically says those from the heavenly host as well as those who have been recipients of the good news. The people that had began to reprocess their whole experience through the eyes of the presence of Christ in their life. The people who are looking at life not so much out of fear, not so much anymore out of longing or frustration or apprehension about bad things around the corner. These people have been redeemed from all that was keeping them captive. And they were at one point in their lives living in fearful apprehension that something of greater force and power would come and disrupt their life, possibly even lead to their own death. And so there was always this undercurrent of fear. And when people go... The Bible says in Hebrews that there's good news that accompanies them in such a way that one of the things that Jesus does when he begins to move into the lives of the people that hear is he delivers them from the bondage of fear. And he takes them to a place where they're now captivated by a new vision for life. And they're recipients of a spirit that enables them to relate to one another in a completely different manner. And when Jesus came into our world, he was basically predisposed to understanding so much of this, but he was limited like you and I with his humanity at that point that he couldn't express it all, that words, vocabulary, language could not capture the substance of what it is that he needed to say. And I don't know about you, but if you heard, if somebody came up to you and they said, let me just 
take all of that experience that is going on in that realm and let me just download this into your head beyond words so that you can even experience what I'm trying to describe. It would honestly be too overwhelming. But as you come into these things and you begin to comprehend them, it becomes less and less frightening and more and more compelling. Have you ever had a dream and you woke up and it was so vivid and so lucid that when you woke up, and it maybe was so personal because it involved people that, that you, you know and loved, and, and maybe it was something that happened to that person. And I, I remember I, just this past week I had a, I, I had a dream. I'd just woken up from um, just getting up in the morning. And right before then, it was just so lucid. And it was about my dog. And something was wrong with his eye. And, of course, if you have a dog, you know where they like to sleep. So I'm thinking as I'm snapping out of my, 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 my sleep state and getting into my wakeful state, I'm like, oh, i got to go look at his eye. And I went and looked at his eye, and there's nothing wrong with it. And I'm like, wait, what? And it was this vision that filled my head that made me, when I just woke up, not really be sure what was real and what wasn't real. And if you've ever had those dreams, you know what I'm talking about, where it impacts you emotionally and, and, and in terms of, of it actually being a possibility that you sense that it's real. And when John was sharing this, it, it, is, it, is, a, it is a vision that gives that overwhelming sense of actually happening. And you know the differences from John's point of view, it is happening. It is taking place. It is a vision of things not yet seen and not yet fulfilled. Did you notice who all the people were worshiping? People from every nation, every language, every tribe, all over the planet. This vision, which is a real vision from the future, was a reminder that there is going to come a day when everyone on the planet who hears the good news and takes opportunity to find salvation begins to move towards God where one day we finally reach the culmination of that journey around his throne. And we express undeclarable praises and unexpressible praises with words that we can best encapsulate what is on our hearts. And it's such, a, it's such a beautiful vision that I can only imagine that any longing that we've had prior to that just begins to subside. And that sense of now everything is right about the universe, about my life, about the people that I know and love that are here and the people that were here and are gone. And everything about this vision says it is all summarized in this moment. And the reason why when one of our people says, will you get behind helping so-and-so with the mission? Whether it's Kremi and, and Andriana that we talked about last week or sending Curtis Schaefer this, this weekend to the Dominican or sending a team or somebody says, I want to talk to you about missions. Or I want you to, I want you to meet my friend, Ari. I have to tell you, 
every time somebody says that word, it's like a trigger word for me. It's like I, I, I get excited because I know that at the end of what we do, those people are going to experience um, callings that are, are pretty dramatic. Not to minimize the callings that each of us have in our own places. But it's a way of saying even beyond what we're doing, we can enable the possibility that when they go and when they preach and especially when they love the people that they are connecting with and when they connect with those people that they are loving and they find that they are part of a larger global community, there is a sense that what is happening in that vision, all of the things that need to happen before that vision takes place are going on. It's pretty exciting. And when I see somebody in our church who is sort of pondering, taking the good news that is in their heart and sharing it with somebody that they want to but they just don't feel qualified or capable, I, I want to just say, you know that mountain that you're looking at it's doable because there are other things going on on the other side that are unimaginable. And if God can enable the unimaginable, he can especially enable what is doable in your world. And I don't know what that means because I don't want to relegate missions to just a global thing and sort of like, well, those are the, the better Christians or whatever. That's not how it works. We are all each called to do something that represents the good news to the people around us in our world in whatever season that we're in. Because worlds can be physical and they can be sort of the mental landscape that you and I are in. I have a world and I could probably tell you, you know, the, the, the few hundred people that go to make up my world. And in that mix, there are a few people that do not know the Lord. And as God is working in their lives like everybody else, there are a few opportunities that God is saying they're hurting. They need an ear. They need some encouragement. They need some love. And if you do those things, believe it or not, as much as you think it couldn't happen, as steep as that hill is, believe it or not, I've been at work in their heart. And they're ready. They're ready. But are you afraid? But Jesus delivered me from a spirit of fear. I don't need to be afraid anymore. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And as I'm just thinking through those things, I realize something. That when you hear the good news, that it's accompanied by a whole lot of prompts that are embedded in something called the Bible. And as you begin to take them into your being, like the little kids going to Awana, you find that they begin to shape how you look at things. So much so that the stuff that you used to worship, the stuff that was so appealing and so captivating that you would bow down to, no longer is even remotely interesting. And not even a go-to anymore for satisfying that longing. Because you've experienced the real thing. And there are a lot of people worshiping a lot of things around us. And they're still longing. They're still looking for that something more. If I can't just climb the mountain, 
then I'll climb the mountain as fast as I can. If I can do that, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb it without a rope. And if I can do that, then I'm going to solve world hunger and I'm going to try to make sure that this is a better place for our kids and on and on it goes. And you're doing this on your own energy until one day you get so old that you say, yeah, that was kind of a fool's errand thinking I could save everyone and everything around me. But it wasn't so much a fool's errand as a misapplication of the longing. It was trying to find a means to satisfy that longing through something that God didn't intend. He didn't intend for any of us to save the world or save anybody. That's what Jesus does. He didn't intend for us to solve world hunger. But perhaps he intended for us to represent who he is while we're here while there's still time and be faithful to that calling and as I'm just looking at you guys each of you I've been a pastor long enough to know that there are some of you in the room who are like I'm just thinking about other things right now pastor that's not important there's others of you in the room that God's been churning something up and you're saying I don't know how to apply this longing towards what you're saying and maybe the next step for you is Ask God to show you how I can go. And then there's others in the room who are saying, I don't want to go somewhere on the other side of the planet. Like our friends, the votes, who have gone to central subtropical Africa. And if you talk to them a little bit more, they'll be here in a few weeks. They'll tell you, well, we actually chose this time of year to come back because where we're at on the mission field, believe it or not, it's a rainy season. And because it's subtropical Africa, guess what? Humidity is about 3,000%. And unlike here where we have creature comforts to offset all of that, we don't really have that. You see, when the rainy season's over, we take everything out of our house, our bed, our sheets, our closet items, and we put them out in the sun so that all the mildew could come off of it. Now, can you imagine, honestly? And they say that's not really a hardship compared to what other people do. And I'm thinking, why would you do this in the first place? And so I had him alone in my office a week or so ago. And I said, okay, you've been over there about three years. Are you still feeling the call? And without hesitation, they both said, yeah. Because they had just told me a little while before about the mildew thing, and I'm like, Man, I can't imagine sleeping in that for a couple of months at a time. And a few other things they told me that were not quite so pleasant. And I realized, what is it, other than the circumstances that they're in, that is driving them to do what they do? And I don't think you have to look any farther than the call that God's given them and the vision that whoever they're helping out on the mission field will one day be a part of that worship gathering. Now, I don't know about you, but I love awesome worship. And whenever, whenever we have those moments where our, our worship is just like, it just pulls you in to that, to that eternal place. Ah, there's nothing like it. But how heartbreaking is it whenever we are pulled into that worship setting and we know that there are people that won't be there. That there are people who are stuck in their longing. 
and they don't know Jesus. And those people, probably for most of us, are people that we look at every day. And for some of us, they're people that are in places like Bulgaria, the Dominican, uh, Thailand. And you realize that we share that in common no matter where we go. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so I don't know what your feet are looking like right now, but if they're carrying the good news, they're about as beautiful as they can get. And maybe you're saying, yeah, I, I need to have some of those feet. And you need to ask God to give you them. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, I just want to satisfy that longing. And I don't have the words to describe the satisfaction that happens when Jesus becomes a part of your life. But I can tell you this. There are many people around you who can express it through their own experiences. But we would all agree that when Jesus begins to inhabit our being, everything changes. And I just want to lead you to that place if we can.